All right, we are live with episode 29 of the Blue Crocus Experience, and I am live today with Mike Claudio of WinRate Consulting, and we're going to chat a bit about what he's up to, um, where he's come from, where he's, you know, what he brings to the market, and then discuss some topics of things that he's learned along the way and just have a, have a good conversation here. So, Mike, if you want to introduce yourself quickly and maybe tell a bit of your background as well, because I, I was reading up and listening uh, about it, but yeah. Just, just yeah. So Mike Claudio, owner of WinRate Consulting, host of the Big Stud Sales Podcast. Um, I am a business coach for the construction home service industry, primarily focused on business development, sales, and leadership. Is kind of like where I spend most of my time. Um, you know, so I was in corporate America first for for many years, almost ten years, and got out and worked for a remodeling company. Helped them grow by several multi seven figures. He kind of capped out, went to a roofing company, grew them by multiple seven figures, and then realized I had a knack for this industry and knack for helping businesses. And I wanted to help more business owners than the one I was working for. So the end of 2018, I started WinRate Consulting and I've been coaching pretty much full-time ever, ever since the beginning of 2019. So I do one-on-one business coaching. I have a mastermind that I lead and you know, overall I put out an obnoxious amount of content. So if you just follow my YouTube channel or follow the Big Side Sales Podcast, or I have a Facebook page called Construction Selling, get into any of that, I put out daily value-added content. My goal is to help business owners shorten the failure gap and figure out how to be successful in whatever market and uh, and way that looks like for them. 100%. Maybe, uh, maybe talk a bit about um, your history with Verizon because I had uh, another guy on here, Brian Hess, who was yep. hard out at Verizon. I know, I, I know Brian personally and it's ironic we met. And uh, so I college didn't work out for me um, for a number of reasons. I was playing baseball, going to the beach, partying, and one thing led to another and all of a sudden I'm kicked out of college, right? So I got a job actually, a buddy called me uh, working at Verizon. I actually started in the retail side. I did four years of retail sales. I did a year of retail management where I, I managed a Verizon wireless retail store. And then I moved to Charlotte in 2011. I switched to the B2B side and I did, you know, two to three years of small to medium business sales. And my target market was construction manufacturing. So I like, that's where I kind of fell in love with the construction industry. And then my last year at Verizon, I did uh, large corporate sales and, you know, my clients were U.S. Airways, Volvo, some major fortune 100 fortune 500 companies and so i kind of ran the gamut from working the counter at a retail store to selling to international companies and a wide variety of leadership and sales experience and then basically it ran its course like i was i was done like i just almost 10 years in corporate america was the only company i'd worked for for any significant period of time at that point and i was ready to do something different a buddy of mine was a remodeling contractor so I took the leap, man. I took like a six-figure pay cut when he was a three hundred thousand dollar a year business when I joined him. Like I left so, a seventy. So how did you? How did yeah. you join? What like what was the proposition? Were you just like I think I can help you, or like what? How did that kind of go? Pretty much like he was a good buddy of mine. Like and he was struggling. Like he was having trouble just like getting by. I mean, anybody who owns a home service company knows like if you're sub five hundred thousand, you know he was doing less than three hundred k a year gross revenue. It's hard to make a living at that number, right? And you know, he was answering the phone and swinging the hammer and wearing the tool belt and doing everything. So he was just struggling. I said, "Look, I, I can help you. I don't understand the industry very well. I, mean, I supported construction companies, but I don't know how to sell a remodel project." And it, it probably took eight or nine months of like talking, negotiating, convincing, 
And because I mean, he couldn't really afford me when I joined, but it came down to he had to do something or he was probably going to have to do something else. Yeah. And he was not prepared to do something else. And I was not prepared to stay in corporate America. And I always wanted to work for a smaller company. And it was basically like, hey, you're going to pay me this salary and I'm going to go sell and grow your business. And that's what I did. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you came on and you basically helped him structure stuff. Like maybe is this kind of the genesis for your, your consulting, as you mentioned earlier? Yeah. So I took over basically all sales estimating and marketing for the company, right? So I had never sold a remodel project in my life. And within six months, I was in charge of all sales, all estimating, all marketing. So I basically developed it all from scratch. Like he had, like he was just a guy in a truck basically and a trailer. Like he wasn't Did he have even, any team members when you came on. Um, I think he had one or two helpers that were very like part-time. Um, but like he, like he even have, he didn't have his logo on his truck. Like no one knew really that what if outside his friend group, no one really knew him. And so basically my goal was to grow this business. And so I had to learn how to estimate projects, how to close deals, how to find like the right types of clients how to even like know that I needed the right types of clients. Like when I joined them, I think the average project size was like two grand or $2,500. And it was like, well, we're not going to be able to, we don't have the headcount to scale enough there. So we got to grow our average project size. And how do you do that? And how do you go find referral partners? And how do you use social media to grow the business? I learned all of that the hard way, a lot of failures. And that was definitely what I would say is the experience that's led to so much success now in me coaching other companies is I've been in the trenches, everybody that I coach is in, and it brings me a lot of relative experience, a lot of commonality, a lot of just credibility in the sense of, I can tell you what you're dealing with without you telling me what you're dealing with. And that brings a lot of value to a lot of contractors who are skeptical of hiring a coach because it's like, what are you going to teach me? And I'm like, well, this is probably what you're dealing with with homeowners. And you're probably having that problem. You're like, damn, how'd you know that? I'm like, well, I'm not joking. I've done the job you're trying to do. Like, this isn't new, but I learned say, the you, hard way. You should just say you can read minds. It'd probably sell. Uh, you can <laughs> probably, yeah. That would definitely <laughs> get more better. That would probably get better engagement on social media, the constructed <laughs> mind reader than, than anything the construction else. construction hypnotist. Yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, so that's a great point. Like, that's definitely where I learned. And then, so, but then I saw a lot of the growing pains throughout because so, my like going into my third year there, we did 2.2 million, right? So like I went from a company that was several hundred thousand to, to a couple million. I, I grew through those growing pains. I made decisions through those growing pains. I helped guide the company during those growing pains. And so I made a lot of decisions. I did a lot of research. I answered a lot of the questions. I made some decisions that weren't right and pivoted and corrected. So now I can articulate why that's not the right decision for that problem because I, here's what I did. And so a lot of what I teach and a lot of my clients will tell you this, I don't come in and try and tell you what to do. I try and guide you in them. I want to make your machine better. I want to fill the gaps. I want to correct things. And I want to help you grow and solve problems before you get to them so that you're not losing money, losing time. I can prepare you for some of those decisions that are coming. And it's just guidance. It's not like you got to do it Mike's way. It's like, how are you doing it now? And let's make it better. Well, if it's not, if they don't take ownership, it's not going to work in the long run, right? They got, yeah, I mean, there's got to be a commitment to, I need help and change. And, and there's, yeah, there's definitely have to be a good amount of buy-in. Yeah. What, uh, what are some of the growing pains that you guys ran into and maybe talk us through some of those, you know, stay awake at night kind of situations. 
I mean, I'd say the biggest thing is that feast or famine pipeline, you know, like you got good projects now and then you, you work through them and you don't backfill it. So you don't know about payroll or, or vice versa. Like you ran out of work because you got it done and now the guys don't have work next week. I mean, that's a big pain point because as you scale, you have to hire employees and then you're like, can I keep them busy is the unknown question mark. And I would say like, that was just something that we committed to solving. You know, we hired some guys, and then we just committed to keeping them busy. And I worked really freaking hard to go out and learn how to find referral partners, get leads, get the right types of leads, close the right kinds of clients, how to actually like build a sales process. What am I saying? What am I doing before, during, and after meetings to differentiate myself and show credibility and show that no like and trust factor? So, you know, the, the overarching problem is like, how do we keep our guys busy next week? And how do we hit payroll? And those are probably the biggest challenges as you grow, because you have to kind of like hire ahead of some work sometimes or sell more work than you can handle and then hope the backfill with employees. So that's a constant battle back and forth between operations and sales, no matter how big you are. Operations and sales is always going to kind of butt heads a little bit. So be prepared for that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, going from three to 300 to 2.2 is, is definitely a big leap. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of, a lot of changes happen for sure. Yeah, yeah, a lot. Um, what uh, I, I think you mentioned the feast or famine pipeline a fair bit in your podcast. Um, what uh, you mentioned referral partners as well. Like, how do you how do you find referral partners? What are you doing to go out and, and find referral partners? Because a lot of people don't even think of that, um, and, and they're just like, oh, I'm going to buy leads from somewhere. It's like, well, there's a bunch of stuff you can do as well. Yeah. So to be honest, so I grew both those companies and I didn't spend a dollar on leads or marketing. Like I just, I'm a relationship guy. I'm not against it. There's certain things I probably am against, but like not as a, at a big picture, but so there's two main things that make a quality referral partner. One is they have to directly benefit from referring their clients to you. And I'll use the example of real estate agents. When you got a real estate agent who has a, let's say a punch list or an inspection report or a project they want their client wants to get done, that agent wants to get to the closing table. It's their only priority. So if they can call me and I can solve their client's problem so they can get to the closing table, that is a direct benefit. Because a lot of people are like, well, Mike, everybody wants a referral fee. And I'm like, if you're actually helping them in whatever their ecosystem is, they don't care about the referral fee. They yeah. want to get to the closing table, right? Like that $500 referral fee compared to that $25,000 commission check is non-equatable. So go help them solve something. And the second thing is that person has to be in a trusted advisory role, right? So real estate agent, financial advisor, larger or smaller contractors, right? Like, hey, we start out with an average project size of 2,500. When I left, I think our average project size was 45,000. Yeah. Well, to get like, th there's contractors in everybody's market right now who will not touch a project under $250,000. Yeah. Most of you listening are probably like, I would kill for a $70,000 project right now. Right. So go call those guys and say, Hey, I'll take the stuff you don't want. I'll do that stuff. And that's how I started building relationships with people is, you know, that contractor, that real estate agent, that financial advisor is in a trusted advisory role of their client base or of their network. So when someone, let's just say, wants to, let's say, you know, the big issue right now is people 50 to 65 are not really on social media. They're starting to, but the average isn't. So how do you get to them? Well, when someone at that age is going to spend a ton of money on a project, where do they go? Well, they have to figure out how they're going to pay for it. 
A lot of them talk to their financial advisor. Hey, we've been planning for this. We'd like to spend this amount of money. What's the best way to do that? Yeah. Well, so I prospected to financial advisors and I was like, hey, look, we're a really quality, high level luxury contractor in Charlotte. I love to work with you and your high end clients when you're talking about and trying to figure out what the best way to do it, pay for a project is. So how did they benefit in that situation? Uh, so in a financial advisory role, they want to be the person that that person goes to anytime they need something. Right. Yep. So like if you come to your financial advisor and say, Hey, I'm looking, you know, I'm looking to do a project. And they're like, Hey, I got the best contractor in town. It keeps that person at a level of, I can trust this person. The expert level, basically the expert level, right? Like I basically like that person wants, cause let's say for instance, that financial advisor refers you to a contractor that doesn't do a good job. Well, now that person's going to question whether or not they can trust what that financial advisor says. So when that financial advisor says, no, Hey, let's move this million dollars from here to here. They're going to be like, well, you kind of didn't give me good advice on the contractor. Should I be listening to this? So it just keeps them in that. I mean, in that case, it just keeps them in a trusted advisory role. And that helps them continue to keep those clients over time. You know, because most of those guys are playing a longer game. I want to keep a larger portfolio of assets. You know, that's kind of their, their game to an extent. That's really, that's really interesting. And, and I think that's really valuable advice too, Mike, um, because a lot of people do. I've worked on the, the kickback um, the kickback referral fee. And, and so my wheels are kind of turning. It's like, Hmm, wonder if I can, uh, wonder if I can modify my strategies a bit to kind of be that go-to person for someone so that, and in the financial advisor situation that it, it allows them more touches with their clients too. Like the more often they think of that financial advisor as their go-to person, it's, it's another opportunity to be like, Hey, did you want to, you know, invest a little bit more here? I was just thinking about this. Right. Um, without them. Well, the other thing too is I'll, I'll give the example like you're a good referral partner for me yep. right because you're marketing yep. and if you get a company a bunch of leads and they don't close any of them they blame you exactly so I actually, I actually have an affiliate program for marketing companies to resell my online because I have an online sales course that you can wrap it into your offering I make a little bit of money and your clients get better at closing deals yep. so they have a higher success rate with the leads you bring them yep. right no, because exactly. like how I bring you benefit is I'll train your clients to sell better. So they close more of the leads you bring them. So you keep that client life cycle longer. Yeah. And then everybody, so if, you're, if you're 90s day, 90 days in, and that person has an atrocious sales process and they don't close any business from the 50 leads you got them, they're going to blame you. They're not going to take the blame. Yeah. yeah. So you can say, Hey, I have a marketing and sales package for this price, you get me giving you leads and this online course from Mike Claudio and Ray Consulting who teaches you how to actually close the deal. Yeah. So those two things together, you get value, they get value and I make a little bit of money, right? So we all, we all benefit from that. Exactly. Um, no, that, that's, that's perfect. And, and something definitely, I might even uh, message you or we can chat off air a little bit yeah. about that. But um, you mentioned content at the beginning as well. Uh, I, I see you're writing down, get in touch with Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, content. You're you and Ryan talk about it a bit on your podcast uh, yep. the episodes that I've listened to, uh, and uh, so talk a bit about that because you know a lot of people are like, oh, I th I throw a sticker on my truck. I've got a website that I paid exorbitant amounts for and it can't be found. Um, so so talk to us about how content comes into play for the the no like trust trifecta. I mean, the bottom line is, is the faster you build a relationship with your audience, the faster they'll get to the no like and trust factor. And until they get to the trust factor, they're not hiring you. 
Now, I always use the example because everybody listening has this. Everybody has a drinking buddy that they love being around but wouldn't trust with $5, right? We all have that person who's just the party guy. You love hanging out with them. You love having drinks with them. You love going to dinner with them. But like if it came to a business decision that included some sort of large financial investment, like he's not the guy you're going to. Yeah. So that's the difference between being known and liked and being known, liked, and trusted. Yeah. So content is utilized so that you can touch basically like if you think about networking, right? Every time you shake somebody's hand, you make another connection. Well, imagine shaking a hundred people's hands from your couch on an everyday basis. You're going to grow your audience. You're going to grow your know, like, and trust. You're going to start getting leads. Well, the way to do that is to use you, not just your projects, not just what you have going on because people buy people. People don't buy products. People don't buy services. Everybody says, well, mom, Mike, what are you talking about? People buy products all the time. If people didn't buy people, Nike would only have shoes in their commercials, right? They wouldn't need LeBron James and Tiger Woods. They would just have shoes in their commercials. No, they have people because people buy people. So when you put yourself on in content, you put yourself out there on social media, people get to know you. They get to trust you. They get to see how you operate. They get to see how you communicate. They get to see what you look like. For most contractors, just the way you look is a competitive advantage because people expect contractors to be dirty and grungy and and you know, just bad people, right? Like that's just unfortunate realities. There's a lot of people out there that's their image of contractors. Yeah. Well, be put together. Have a you know polo on, clean, tucked in, hat, whatever, clean shaven, or at least trimmed or whatever, right? Something, yeah. Do those things, and it's just one more check in the. I think I can trust this person. And oh, I've been seeing them run successful projects for the last three months because he's been posting consistently. Now I'm ready to make a decision because here's, here's like the underlying truth of the general population. Anybody that is engaging with you, only 7% is in a buying decision period. The other 93% might make a decision at some point in the future. So you're putting out content consistently to gain more of that future 93% than to close the 7% who might actually be looking right now. Right, right. It's more of a long-term plan. If you don't do it consistently, you're never gonna grasp that 93%. So you're you're giving yourself a very low propensity to win, which is how you kind of get that feast or famine pipeline where how you lose referral partners or how you, people just forget about you. People are, people are short-minded, right? That you could do a project for somebody right now and in six months, they won't be able to remember your name. Well, not only that, we're just being bombarded with a million and one things on right. a minute by minute basis, right? Oh, um, yeah. I, I did actually, I, I loved the feast or famine pipeline thing. I'd never heard that before, um, but I definitely know it because <laughs> as I was, <laughs> as I was what happens, like you're slow. So you get busy trying to do sales. You close some deals. You stop doing sales because you're producing that product. And here's the unfortunate truth that no one really, that very few people think, I'll say no, very few people think about Closing deals is as bad for your pipeline as losing them because it pulls them out of your pipeline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So yeah. If, you, if you close a contract, it's no longer in your pipeline. So if you have 10 people, three people say no and six people say yes, you're down to one person in your pipeline. Yeah, yeah. You're busy for a short period of time, but people will stop selling because they get busy operating. And then what happens? Their pipeline diminishes, then they get slow. And they start doing sales activity again and then they get busy and they stop selling and it just goes like that forever. I mean, people, yeah. and that's why like so many people have a bad fourth quarter. It's not because of the season and everybody, anybody who thinks it is, you're wrong. Yeah. You just got busy in June, July, August, and September and stopped selling. 
So you stopped filling your pipeline and by October you're out of work because everything you did in June, July, August, and September is now done, but you haven't sold in four months. So your pipeline's empty. Dude, that's gold. That's, that's gold. And I, and I say the, the feast or famine resonates with me because as I was transitioning into this full time, it was like, I'd be really busy with my day job and then I'd be busy prospecting and then I'd be busy fulfilling because yeah. uh, I didn't have a team in place yet. And so, yeah, I'd be like, really like filling the pipeline and then you get some no's and then you get some wins and you feel euphoric. It's like your aunt's like, yeah, just inked another deal. And then you get busy doing the job. Yep. Right. Uh, and then you finish it up and you're like, Oh, there's literally nothing left. What am I going to do? And so you spend the next while trying to fill your pipeline. And like you said, it's a long process. Um, I like that perspective about the fourth quarter too, because I've seen people say like, you know, the fourth quarter doesn't have to be bad, but, but I mean, you put it in very practical terms. People are just busy doing and not finding new potential clients throughout yep. the year. Cause I'll, is, I'll tell you with the remodeling company and the roofing company, after my first year, I never had a slow fourth quarter. What did you do to change that? Just, I mean, other than consistency. That's it. There's nothing else. I just did the same thing 12 months instead of five months or six months. Like I did the same thing every day, 12, you know, 365 days a year. I was benefiting. I was director of business development, right? Like it was my job, but it doesn't matter. Every business has that job description one way or another, right? So whether you're doing it as a sole proprietor or you have people doing it, it needs to be done every day to keep a consistent pipeline. So what do you say to your friend who, you know, was stuck in that, that 300,000 zone? What do you say to him when he's trying to wear all these different hats? What do you say to someone who's just starting out? You have to create a routine that includes some sort of sales activity every single week. You can't take a week off. You got to be doing something with content creation, prospecting, networking, um, lead generation. If you're not paying for it, if, if you just have no time at all, lead generation could be good. But you know, I think we would both agree, even though it is your job that like quality leads are few and far between comparatively, like you're going to get good at bats, but the t and here's my opinion on leads and I I'm not going to knock what you do. Hey, but no, you think I'm, about, I'm here to prove that it's, it's worthwhile. Um, if, if you think about how an average person makes decisions, if I'm looking for a service provider and I have friends or family, I'm starting there. I'm not going and like submitting a random form somewhere to get contacted by five people. So if you think about it, the people going there, and this isn't like a for everybody, but a large percentage are people who don't have trusted advisors, friends, or family around them. hundred percent. And no offense. I don't want to work for the people that don't have friends. Yeah. They're just, they're <laughs> pain in the asses, right? Like they're, yeah. they're just difficult people to deal with. And not everybody, I'm not knocking people. I'm basing this on, I sold $10 million in projects in five years. 100%. My experience oh, you make, is you make a valid point, Mike. It's, it's very difficult to, I rather get, make that one. Cause here's the other side of the leads, right? You have to resell yourself every single time. You got to start from scratch every single time. When you sell a referral partner on you, you just have to keep them happy and they'll sell for you. And the people yeah. who call you from that person say, Hey, I heard about you from Mike. You'd be like, Oh, great. Well, no, man, he said you're the best. Like, just let me know what it's going to cost. They're going to buy no matter what your price is. A, a very high propensity to buy. Price yeah. is going to be a lower concern. So my goal was chasing those people yeah. as opposed to the lead side where they're tire kickers, they're not as serious, or in general, they're just not great people and don't have somebody else to ask. Yeah. Yeah. No, 100%.
Um, before, uh, you know, we dive down another rabbit hole, I was talking to, uh, Cam Roberts, who was actually the one who, uh, mentioned that I should get in touch with you. He says, uh, he'd love to hear more from you about what you find effective for training new slash green employees. Is he talking about sales or just in general? I think just in general, um, he's, uh, he's in BC doing line striping and, mm-hmm. uh, an avid fan of your podcast. I believe he said he might even be talking to you next week, but. So here's, here's my suggestion on that. First off, you need to have a documented process for everything. If you don't have that and you're just like hoping to remember to tell everybody the right thing every time someone new comes on and you're busy with a dozen different things. Now you got to try and make sure you tell everybody every step. Most guys in that position, if you don't have a documented process, they say, hey, man, good luck out there today. Let me know how I can help you. That'd be like telling a four-year-old to go make dinner and let me know if you have a question, right? Like they're going to do it their way. And their way is 100% of the time, never your way. Yeah. Or, and I'm not going to say it's the wrong way, but there's a lot of things in a system that is very unique to every business, right? So the first step is having it documented. I think it's 100%. It's easy to do right now. I would say even as far as if it's, let's say an application that somebody needs to use, screen record yourself using it and then let them watch the videos. Yeah. Right. Like record some videos, educating people on different steps of the process, showing them how equipment should be put away on video, showing them how to prepare for a job, showing them how to look when they show up to the job site, showing them what a clean job site looks like. So you can say, Hey, here's a picture of what a job site should look like. Here's what your job site looks like. Do those look the same? No, they don't. Let's make it look like this. Thanks, guys. So if you have no documented systems, processes, expectations, standard operating procedures, you can't hold them accountable to it. And I'll tell you, and people don't, people have argued me on this, and I'll tell you, it's, it's as true as anything I've ever learned. The higher the performing the employee is, the more standard operating procedures they want. They want to know they're doing a good job. They like, that's why like salespeople need quotas, right? They want to know that they're exceeding the expectations. Well, if you say, Hey, go do a good job. They're never going to feel like they're doing enough. High performers want to know they're exceeding the expectations. So you have to set the expectations. Dude. Yeah. That, that resonates with me. Cause I've, I've worked at a couple places where it's like, Oh yeah, I, I really value autonomy. And I'm, I'm just like, okay, cool. And then but tell me what you want. Like, give me some guidance. Give me yeah. a lane. Give me something, right? Yeah. So the higher the performance, because I'll tell you, when, I, when we were growing our business, we didn't have good standard operating procedures. And we had some really great project managers and lead carpenters join us. But we were fluid. And they hated it. Because yeah. every day they'd show up to the job, it'd be a little bit different. They'd be a little differently prepared. to be a little differently outlined. It'd be a little differently documented. Because we didn't really know what we were doing yet. Right? So if you don't You're have kind of documented... And video and pictures are the best way. People learn visually. People, people just absolutely 100%. Because when they start, they're taking on a lot of information. So you telling them what you want on, in one onboarding meeting isn't going to be enough. So then I would say from that, to answer the question, is weekly, I would say best practice slash safety meetings and safety can be internal or external. Safety, a lot of people think is just like, I don't want my guys to get hurt. No, safety could be like, how are we protecting the company's assets? How are we protecting our profit margin? How are we protecting each other? 
right? It's not just about, I don't want you to get hurt from a safety perspective. It's, we have, we have these processes and systems in place for a reason so that you and us can be successful. So you can use those safety meetings for a number of ways, like either, you know, talk about a successful experience that somebody did that went above and beyond and like articulate how like that's a new standard operating procedure because it works so well, or just talk about like, Hey guys, here's why we need to be making sure that we're putting the caps back on stuff because we can't keep buying, you know, throwing out half containers worth of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And going back to the, the documenting thing, like a lot of people are going to be like, well, I can't, I don't have time to make video and stuff. It's like, well, if you want to go to 2.2 million or, or higher, like, you document it, you've just saved yourself a ton of time with every new employee you bring on, right? You've just and, duplicated yourself. And I, and I always say that this is the same for content, it's the same for this. I'm not asking you to create effort to, to document it. I want you to document what you're doing already anyway. It could even so be what the person what you're doing. Get on. It could be just after you're going around. Right, so yeah. just document the next, the next time you have a new hire, document that process as you're doing it anyway. And then you never have to do it again. To your point, you get a lot of time back over time. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. That's huge. That's really cool. There you go, Cam. There's, uh, there's the five-minute uh, five spiel. Um, you, guys, you and Ryan talk a lot about content, uh, and, and I think I've even already, we've already kind of touched on it, but I want to circle back around to it because contractors don't, like a lot of contractors are people who are doing what they're doing because they like, to just have good, honest labor. They like to get in, they like to do what they're good at. And being on video or camera is really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, what you guys talk about a lot is like video, um, you know, pictures of the job site, things like that. So important to get for people to get to know and like you and then mm -hmm. eventually trust you. How do you bridge that gap with, with people who are, you know, not necessarily a huge fan of doing that? So I've said this a lot and I'm not, I, I'm not even sure if this helps people, but I think it does. The face you have on camera is the same face you have in front of clients. Why is it different? Right. If you're willing to walk into somebody's house and sell them on a, on a remodel product or sell them on a service and then show back up and produce it and then show back up to collect checks, it's the same face. Why are you afraid to put it on video? What makes you uncomfortable putting it on video, right? It's this, you're the same person. You communicate the same in person. You communicate the same on video. There should be no difference. So if you're anxious about it, just realize you're the same person in person that you are on camera. So stop being worried about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting perspective. And, and I mean, for people that are like, Oh, well, I don't want the government to have my, my pictures. <laughs> well, that, that's a whole different, <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah, I can't solve. Conspiracy can't help that, but, uh, <laughs> that, yeah, that's an interesting perspective. And it's, it's one of the reasons I started this podcast too, was to get outside my comfort zone because going on live video on Facebook is really uncomfortable. If you're, if you're uncomfortable with going on live video, record it, uh, you know, on your phone before and then post that, you know, you can do it 50 times and spend an hour, but like, just get it out there, guys. It's, it's not that hard well, to do. And just expect to suck for like the first 20 to 30 videos. You know, at yeah. this point I was talking to Ryan this past week and in the last 18 months, I think I've shot over 500 videos. That's crazy. My first 50 are terrible. Yeah. Like comparatively, but I'm sure like the first time someone chalked a line or cut a board or, installed some trim or installed something you were probably terrible at the first time you did it too why do you think video production would be any different but you can't get better if you don't start what if customers think i'm i'm a bad contractor because my videos are terrible i so yeah 
ironically, um, <laughs> I, uh, I ran a test because I, I have a lot of clients that struggle with consistency for like their own negative self-talk and, and that, those types of mindsets. So <laughs> I posted a video yesterday intentionally without sound. Okay. It's <laughs> a video of me without sound. Were and the caption, yeah, no, it's a video of me like, and it looks like I'm passionate and I'm telling a really great story, but there's no sound. Okay. And the caption is only, man, these lessons, I can't remember exactly what it was, but basically like the tips in this video are awesome. You should be listening to it, right? Oh, I want to try that now. What happened? I didn't see it. Tell me what happened. Top 10 in most engaged posts out of like 600. Oh, that's hilarious. In a day. It's like, it makes two days now. I think I posted it on, on Tuesday. But... Point being, people engage with video more than any other type of medium, period. Like it's proven, it's statistical. It's not my opinion, it's real. No, we like to this see is a video not, that has no sound. It brings zero value to anybody. And it got like over 600 impressions. What did what were people saying? Were they all like, oh, I can't hear you? Or One person said, no, I, I can't hear you. No one else said anything at all. It got 40 likes. That's awesome. 40 <laughs> likes. You can't hear it. There's nothing to listen to. It's just a video of me talking. Oh, that's funny. But it just, point I was trying to make, because I'm going to share that statistics with several of my clients is video gets engaged with more than anything else, even if it's terrible. Yeah. And a video with no sound is as bad as it can get. No one had any idea what I was saying. What about uh, live versus pre-recorded? Is there a benefit to either? Um, it, it changes depending on how Facebook and Instagram is trying to drive traffic. Uh, I mean, the algorithm definitely changes. Um, there are two different, their usage, they're used differently, right? So like what you put in your feed compared to what you would go live on, let's say in your stories, you'd use it for different things. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, there's no like set this or that it's what are you most comfortable with? You know, your stories on Instagram and Facebook are definitely better utilized for more like on the job site, quick, unedited, just talking about what's going on, where your, your feed or your wall should be somewhat more curated in the process. So, but both are better than pictures or nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Anything is better than pictures are better than nothing at, the, at this point. Like if you really are terrified of getting on video, put pictures and, and talk to people about the jobs you're doing. That's better than nothing. I mean, but it, you got to have people in it because if it's just a picture of another room or another kitchen or another roof, you're not gaining any value. People are just going to scroll right past it. They're not going to engage. So make sure there's at least people in it because people build relationship with people, not rooms, not services, not products. They build relationships with people. What if, what if I just take uh, nose hair selfies? I mean, I think that would be a funny Tuesday nose hair picture, but like, <laughs> I mean, it'd, be, it'd be funny. I might try it. I'll let you know how it goes. Yeah. Well, I, I know some people, they, they take selfies when the camera's like way down here. I mean, bottom line is, is it's the same person in person. So if you're just quirky, you're weird, you're a little awkward, be awkward on camera on, because you'll, here's the part that people underestimate. When you put yourself out there like that, you qualify out people that won't want to work with you and you qualify in people that do want to work with you, which makes your leads a higher quality, which makes them a higher propensity to buy. Because if you get a call from somebody who hates the way you look and hates the way you sound and hates the way you sell, and they don't know that until you're in their living room, you've wasted three hours. Yeah. As opposed to that person doing their due diligence online and saying, no, I don't really like that guy, I'm going to move on. 
yeah, you might have lost an opportunity, but you didn't want to win it anyway. And if you did, it'd be a terrible client experience. We've all had those clients. You're three weeks, three months in, you're like, damn, I shouldn't have taken this one. Yeah. Yeah. Right? No, and I, I was really trying to draw out the point that like, just post something and post it regularly. It's hard. I, I, I run into the same problems. Uh, I'm like, I don't really have anything to talk about or say today. Um, and that's, that's a, that's just a mind block guys. Um, you know, I'm, I'm working through it, you know, the same as everybody else. Um, how do you weed out the clients that just want you to come out for a couple hours to prove their wife wrong? I mean, I, I have a very direct and repeatable qualifying process over the phone. I, I, you told that story, I think on the podcast, this guy, yeah. here, had you. <laughs> I, I remember that guy right now. I can, I, I, right now I can tell, I can tell you exactly where he lives. I could, I could probably drive to his house right now if, if I wanted to. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean like I, I learning that lesson taught me I need to qualify better. Right. Like that was a great example of a time that I was like, yeah, this sounds like a great project. And I went out there and like, I was like, I asked the I was like, Hey, so like, you know, are you going to be prepared for I was like, nah, man, I was just trying to like prove my wife wrong. I'm like, this guy just wasted like three hours of my time. Yeah. And at that day I said, I'm going to start qualifying differently going forward. I'm never going to let this happen again. So tell us, tell us the process. Well, I mean, it's, it's too, it's too specific, I think to an extent, but you want to understand a few points of, of it, you know, do they fit your ideal client? Do they fit your ideal project? Do they fit the timeline that you have access to? Do they fit the budget range that you typically fall in? And then where are they geographically located? I mean, those are probably the five things that you need to understand, which means you need to understand what is your ideal client? What is your ideal project? What is your actual timeline right now? What is the budget range that you would typically be in? And what service area do you want to service? You need to understand the answers to those questions. But those are the five things that you need to uncover on the call because if any one of those could push them out, like you could say no to them or they could say no to you. No, I don't want to wait that long. No, that's way, that's way more than I thought it would be. Those are things you want to figure out on a five minute phone call, not a two hour in-person meeting. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Well, Mike, we're- so how do you do that? Like you got to figure out the questions for your own business on what makes sense, but those are the five things that you need to understand. Yeah, make sure it lines up with your widget and service. Um, yeah, no, this is this has been awesome, Mike. I, I've really enjoyed this. I want to chat with you a bit off air before um, before our time is up. But is sure. there? I always like to ask: Is there something you would tell a contractor? It doesn't really matter what widget they're selling, but is there something you would tell a contractor or a business owner who's just starting out that would make that you believe would make kind of a big difference in the way that a year or two from now things are things are happening? It's a great question. Um... It's a big loaded question. You could take it a million ways too. So yeah. So so here's what I'm gonna say. Don't base your pricing on what you can afford. Base your pricing on the value of the service you provide. Oh, I love that. Because so many people are afraid to charge what they're actually worth because they can't afford it. I'll tell you, I bet 90% of contractors can't afford half the projects they do. So don't worry about what you can afford and be uncomfortable because it's more than you can pay for understand your value, stick to that number, own it, believe in it, know how you got there so you can confidently deliver it. And, and don't, don't base your anxiety around pricing based on what you can afford, because it's not your job to pay for it. It's their job to pay for it. Boom. I'm not even going to say anything. That's perfect. <laughs> That's perfect. That, I appreciate that. And, and I've appreciated your time, Mike, and getting to know you a little bit better. Um, let's, uh, let's chat off Mike here, but uh, I will drop your links to your website, to your coaching program, 
I'll get you to send all those over to me, but those will be in the show notes. Cool. And uh, guys, go check out what Mike's up to. And uh, if you've found any value in this, share it out to your friends and, and family and make sure your mother likes it too. Uh, but uh, yeah, this is this is- Leave our- a review, rate this podcast, leave a review. Give a rating, leave a review. It's very important to help him grow his audience. You know, it's one of the main things that, that, that the podcast programs use to put the right stuff in front of people and people enjoying it. So if you got value from this, leave a review and then go over to Big Stud Sales and leave a rating and leave a review. It helped both of us grow our audience on our podcast. Exactly. You heard it here first. Awesome, Mike. I appreciate it. Have a good one, guys.